Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to continue our series, uh, our little Advent series. This is Peace Week. That's why we have two candles lit. In case you didn't know, um, first candle, first candle is hope. That's a purple candle. Second candle is peace, also a purple candle. Next week is joy. That's the pink candle. And then we go back to another purple candle for love. And then the white candle, that's the Christ candle. We light that on Christmas Eve here. And uh, later in the service, we'll let you light a candle as well, and you can burn someone's hair. That actually happened last time, and I'm expecting it to happen this year. That's my Advent commercial, by the way. <laughs> today's, uh, today's scripture comes out of Luke chapter 3, so if you want to turn there, we'll get to it in a moment. But before we get to the scripture, I just want to tell you the title of today's message and maybe, maybe set this up so that we can jump right into the text. The title of today's message is Things We Never Outgrow. Things We Never Outgrow. I just want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about some things we just never ever outgrow. But before we do that, uh, I want to talk to you about this. How many of you have ever noticed, maybe in your own experience, uh, when you were born and then you're like a little kid, you're maybe a toddler. I don't know. How, how, how old are you when you can start having memories that are real? Yeah, mine's, mine are later, you know, but, but like three or four, you start to remember stuff, you know, or whatever. And then, and then after, after that like initial phase of being like a toddler and a kid, you know, you, you, become, you become a little bigger. You get to be adolescent. And uh, man, this is, this is an amazing human development talk I'm giving right now. <laughs> but how many of you remember just outgrowing everything? Do you remember that? You remember like you're like one size and then all of a sudden it's like summer and then you're going back to school and you put your pants on and they're like, they're up here, you know? <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. I mean, and some of us in the room, uh, we're parents now and maybe, maybe you have a couple kids and, and you start to realize that whatever money you think you have is going to go to shoes. Like you think you have money, but you don't have money. Like it's in your account. It's not your money. It's shoe money. The other day I walked into my kitchen. Uh, how many of you all have a rug in your kitchen or where you go in and everybody just throws their shoes on that rug? Everybody got that? The other day I walked into our house and I counted because it was, it was obscene, right? I counted. There were 18 pairs of shoes on the rug. And these are not all of our shoes. There's more, you know? And that's when you realize we're never going to have money. We're literally never going to have money. Yeah, I just started counting. I'm like, there's, how many, how many hundreds of dollars is that? It's like a million. It's like a million dollars. Yeah, some of you are like, I'm never having children, you know? You really, if you have four kids, you could have a boat. Like, you could, a boat is cheaper than four kids. Not as, probably not as much rewarding in the end, but... You outgrow stuff. That's what I'm trying to say. You outgrow things, you move on. And, but here's the other thing I was thinking about this week. We don't just outgrow pants and shoes, uh, but sometimes we outgrow ideas. When we're, when we're kids, we're given a set of ideas. And actually, the sets of ideas you first receive as a child, these are ideas that are actually really important. 
Uh, even if they're not ideas you hang on into adulthood. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like there's certain ideas that's real important for a kid to have because it gives some boundaries and some parameters to their life that they actually need. I mean, sometimes it's just stuff that even just keeps them safe. How many of you uh, told your kids this? Don't talk to strangers. <laughs> stranger danger. Anybody ever give that little talk to their kids? Like stranger danger. Don't talk to anybody. Just like talk to me and your mom. If you don't know them, run away, you know? That's a, that, how many of you know that's actually a good talk to give to children? I mean, there's a lot of weirdos out in the world. And sometimes the weirdos look normal, don't they? Yeah, so you tell your kids, stranger danger, don't talk to anybody. If it's not me or your mom and you don't know them, run away. And, but how many of you know that at a certain point that don't talk to strangers is terrible advice? Right? How many of you, how many of you have ever realized like, oh, like some of the magic in life? Heck, maybe most of the magic in a normal day is engaging strangers. And if you'll just start saying hello to people you don't know, like you find out all kinds of amazing stuff. And not only that, but lately talking to strangers has been an amazing way for me to share my faith and talk about Jesus. I've talked to, I've talked to more people about Jesus in the last four months, and I've done it by engaging strangers, mostly at the grocery store. No joke. I've talked to so many people lately about Jesus in the most just random way. So what starts out as a good idea for a child, like if you hang on to it too long, it actually limits the magic that's in your life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, there's other ideas that we, we change on, like political ideas. Like maybe you grew up in a family that identified with a particular political party or ideology, and then you maybe, maybe at some point you met someone from the opposite party and you started to see something new. Anybody ever have that happen? Like, let me just be real specific to, here. Uh, maybe you found out that there are, that there are really Christian Democrats. There, by the way, newsflash, there are. Like deeply, deeply Christian. You can be a Democrat and be a Christian. Or maybe you found out that you can be a Republican and still be nice, you know? Maybe you met some Republicans and you're like, wow, they're actually nice people. I, I had it all wrong, right? Yeah. And so you have to change. Some of us have to change some of our theology. So maybe some of us grew up with a particular theological bent. Maybe, maybe we grew up fundamentalist. You don't have to put your hand up. Or, or maybe, maybe we grew up in a, in a church where women were not supposed to preach. You're going to hate this place. I'll just tell you that right now. Uh, or, or maybe we grew up in a tradition where God was mostly to be feared. You know, How many of you grew up where most of the sun, Sunday sermons were like, at the end, it's like hellfire brimstone and scaring people, trying to scare them into heaven. You just can't scare people into love. That's the problem with that. I mean, you can get people to walk down the aisle, but like you can't scare people into love. Or maybe you grew up with an eschatology. It's just a fancy word for like the end times, right? Maybe you grew up with an end times theology that was like mostly fire, you know, <laughs> mostly fire and fear. And then, and then maybe, maybe you've discovered when you were like 26 or seven, Oh, maybe there's a different way to read these passages and maybe the end is music. You know? I, that's what I'm discovering. Like maybe the end is not fire. I'm, I'm thinking the end is music. Like I, I actually think that's the most important part, right? And so in order to grab onto the new thing, sometimes you have to let go of the other thing, don't you? Things change is what I'm trying to say. Part of growth is change. Our bodies grow, our minds grow. Uh, and hopefully our hearts grow. Um, I grew up with all kinds of competing beliefs about, about people who were different than me. Anybody ever else grow up like that? <laughs> like and competing beliefs. Like I grew up in a Christian home and like one of the things that we, we learned in a Christian home is like God loves everybody, right? Sort 
maybe, you know? I mean, it was like, I'm just being silly. Like, but we kind of, there's these competing beliefs that happen. Like, like on the one hand, you grow up believing God loves everybody. And then the other hand, you're like, but I'm not so sure about these other people, right? And I specifically remember being 22 years old and I was working at Roberts Landscaping like 16 hours a day. That's literally not a joke. I would, I would start work at 5.30 and I would get home at like midnight. I mean, it was, I was grinding my face off. And my entire crew that I worked with were guys from Mexico and Guatemala. And I realized so much of what my Kentucky culture had taught me about Mexicans and Guatemalans was wrong. And my heart grew. And I was like, everything I grew, everything I just sort of assumed about people was like wrong. And I had to grow, right? So you, you, you come into contact with something new and you're like, ah, starting to grow. Never forget that. There's so many things that we grow out of. Some things are helpful early on and then they become less helpful as we age. Some of the things that were helpful are simply rooted in simplistic reductions of complex issues. This is almost always the case of politics and culture. Uh, human beings want to memify everything. So we want to take something really complex and like turn it down to a meme and, and then put all of our beliefs in that because it, 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 it gives us some distance from having to engage with the complexity of an issue or a person or an idea. Does that make sense? But it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So some things we grow out of, some things change. In fact, change is part of what it means to be a human. Like if you're going to be a human being, you're going to keep growing. You're going to keep moving. But here's the other thing I want to say to you this morning. Uh, as much as things change, some things are perennial. Uh, some things are evergreen. And then some things don't change. In fact, Advent is one of those stories that doesn't change. The arrival of Jesus into the world. Uh, it's new again every single year. I mean, it's the reason we do this every single year at the vineyard. It's the reason we, we slow down and we want to talk about hope and peace and joy and love and Jesus. We want, to, we want to look at the first coming because we want to anticipate the second coming. And we want to say as a church family and as a body of faith, we want to say, you know what? There's a lot of things that change and we need to change and it's good for our us as people, but then there's these other things that just don't change, that don't change. There's stories that don't change. There are, there are ideas that don't change that we have to enter into, and it's for our well-being. The gospel is one of those things. It's in season at all times. The Bible says that the tree of life produces fruit year-round. Some things don't change. You know, there's, there's a story, there's, there's a life inside of God that like doesn't change. There's fruit you can have in your life that you never outgrow. So that's the preamble to the text this morning. <laughs> Dang, that was long. Okay, Luke chapter three. Let's speed it up, Adam. Come on. This is the text this morning. By the way, most of the text this year, John the Baptist text this year, most of them. And uh, Lord, help me with all these names. <laughs> you guys just forgive me already. Okay, good. Thank you. Six verses goes like this. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was the governor over Judea. By the way, you should be paying really close attention right here. This is like amazing Bible stuff. 
Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Etrea and Tracon- at Traconitis. Sounds like an elbow disorder. Lysanias <laughs> was ruler over Abilene. Is that Texas? I don't know. And Nias and Caiaphas were high priests. This is one of my favorite things in the whole Bible. And at this time, the message from God came to John, the son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. I love it because God will literally bypass every single ruler and name them and show up to a prophet in the desert. Like this is the beginning of the good news. God will bypass every single like powerful person and show up to a wandering prophet in the middle of nowhere. And then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare for the way of the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and the hills will be made level. Curves will be straightened and the rough places will be made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. That's our text this morning. I love that Luke begins this text with so many names, and they're all rulers. Luke, Luke names all of these people to locate this story in history and to locate this story geographically. It's a, way, it's a way for Luke to say, this really happened, and this is when it happened, this is where it happened, and this is who it happened to. But it's also the subversive nature of God's unchanging gospel the work and the word of God is happening out along the edges and the corners. Like this is where the word of God always shows up. It, it never really shows up in the middle of where it's supposed to happen. It's always showing up on the edge out in the wilderness somewhere. Uh, I was reminded this, this week of the Old Testament story of Ruth. You guys remember how that story begins? Uh, there's this rule in the Old Testament. Like when you go and plant your field, you can plant the whole field, but you can't harvest the whole field, can you? Got to leave some around the edge. Why? For the poor. And, and this is where the story actually takes place. Like, like Ruth meets Boaz because she's out gleaning the edges of his field. Like the, the word and the work of God, like the gospel, the, the new thing that God is doing, it'll never be in the center. It'll always be on the edge, you know? And by the way, like us charismatics, we, we need to know this so much more than everybody else. Uh, everybody who's ever experienced like a powerful move of the spirit, like the next one, it ain't coming back to the same place. It's not going to be in the same way. It'll be out along the edge with somebody different and somebody new almost every single time. You know, we just have to keep our eyes open. Like, where's the work of God? And that's exactly the story that Luke is telling us. He literally names every ruler, Herod, Pontius Pilate, all the imperial Romans, and they didn't get any of the message from God. It didn't come to them. God didn't, God didn't start with the leader. Uh, God was not really into honor culture. He didn't start with the top dog leader. He went to the very bottom and he dispersed it to a wandering prophet who lived in the wilderness. And I just take great comfort in that. 
It's a great challenge to me because honestly, the word of God probably won't be coming to me. It'll be somewhere else on the edge, won't it? So many names. A little bit of history though. The dynamic bypass that Luke begins this passage with, it baptizes us deep into the story of God. Uh, if you're a Bible person, if you're a Bible person at all, this little moment should be dinging all sorts of bells. If we just think about the six verses that we read, let me, let me, help, you, let me help you see the bells in case you didn't already. Luke names all the rulers. By the way, they're not Jewish rulers, they're Roman rulers, right? Roman rulers, uh, they're Roman rulers in Israel. So in the very place that God had promised Abraham, all of a sudden, none of the Israelis are ruling their own home, but it's Roman rulers in a foreign land. Oppressive rulers, if you want to. Uh, there's the word wilderness. Uh, there's the word prophet. And there's also the word baptize. And if you're going to baptize people, you need a little what? little water. Okay, so let's put these things together. You got oppressive rulers, you got wilderness, you got a prophet, and you got a water. What does that remind you of? It should be dinging the bells of Exodus for you. It should be ringing some kind of bell that sets us back into the Old Testament, because that's exactly what Luke is doing. That's exactly what God's doing. God's beginning to ding this bell, and he's saying, this is an Exodus moment. There's some kind of deliverance that's coming. Uh, this, is not just, this is not just the boss is showing up. This is deliverance is showing up into the world. It's an exodus moment. It's a deliverance moment. I also need to tell you about baptism here for a moment too. Because in this moment that John shows up telling people to repent and be baptized, uh, baptism wasn't a new thing. In fact, when a Gentile or a non-Jew wanted to join the people of God, when they wanted to become Jews, they had to be baptized. They had to be, they had to be dunked in water to become a part of God's big family. And by the way, this little note would not have been lost on John's hearers, and it would not have been, it would not have been lost on Luke's readers either. Because the message, the message in that would be something like this. Uh, listen up, everybody. This is an Exodus moment. Only it's worse because the people of God have wandered so far from God that they need to be baptized for their sins, just like the godless Gentiles. Like this is, this is not just some like fluffy, cozy Christmas word. This is, this is like a dagger to anybody who's listening. Like, like the message is, this is a deliverance moment. This is a moment when we've circled all the way back to Moses wandering in the desert. This is a moment of like Red Sea. This is a moment of Egypt and oppressing. And this is a moment where we need to be turned loose again. And, and if he's baptizing, then that means, oh my gosh, we've completely lost our way. I mean, if John is asking the Israelites to come out and be baptized, he's saying, you guys are, you guys are Gentiles. You got to return to God. So some things change. Some things do not. That's what I want to talk to you about really quickly here this morning. Church, some things change and some things don't. Uh, we outgrow our shoes and we outgrow our pants. Um, hopefully we outgrow dumb political partisanship. We outgrow some of our theological parameters. 
But here's what I want to say this morning. Some of them are evergreen and we don't outgrow them. Some things are always in season and the right size. And those things are things like this. The story of deliverance or repentance, those are some of those things that are evergreen and they're always in season. Even now during this Christmas season, as we anticipate the birth of Jesus, even as we long for the return of Jesus, the Spirit is con- calling us to consider our lives once more. Here's why. Because Washington says things like this, that what matters in life, what matters in life is happening in Washington or maybe New York City. And our culture says that what happens with presidents and governors is what matters. You know, that's one of the stories that we have right now. You know, we, we, we need a particular kind of president or we need a particular kind of governor and that's what matters. Our culture says uh, what we need is more influence. What we need is more influence. And by the way, that's not just a non-Christian story. That's becoming a Christian story. We need more influence. That's what we need. And our culture says, our culture says that we should be suspicious of anything, anything that challenges us spiritually. We should be suspicious of that. Our culture also says that love is acceptance without challenge. That's one of the stories right now in our, in our culture. Love is acceptance without challenge. I want to tell you that's not right. I challenge my kids because I love them. I, ch- I have challenged them a lot and I will keep challenging them. Only, only a terrible father would not, would not challenge his children. But that's one of the stories. Our culture says love is just acceptance with no consideration of challenge. Our culture says that private spirituality is best. Love Jesus all you want. Don't tell anybody. Private spirituality is best. Our, our, our culture says that self-care uh, is better than service. We've jumped the shark on this self-care thing. I just want to tell you right now. Uh, everybody here needs to take care of themselves. Everybody here needs a Sabbath. But the, but the ratio is six to one. And self-care is not better than service to other people. Like we've, we've completely jumped the shark on this. It is, it's got to stop. Our, our culture says violence over peace. And our culture says swagger over humility. And our culture says ideo- ideology over kindness. And our culture says the ends justify the means. But the text this morning says to us that there is a wilderness word that we never outgrow. There's a, there's a wilderness call that we never outgrow. Change your shoes and change your pants, but never outgrow the wilderness word from God's prophets. And the wilderness word is repent. And the, that just means something like this. It means change your mind based upon superior information. It doesn't even mean like beat yourself up. It just means since you know something better, change your mind. Like don't hang on to what you know isn't as good. We never outgrow the need to grow in the ways of God, especially those things that draw us to humility and living with an awareness of our need. Man, I never want to grow past realizing that I'm a person who needs God or that I'm a person who needs Jesus. Like, I don't ever want to become such an expert in the Bible or an expert at church that I just sort of like lose connection with being the sort of person who says, you know what, I need God to change me. Like, I I still need him to change me. I'm not done needing to be straightened out by him. That's why Advent is a gift to us. Like this little spot in the calendar, it's actually a gift to us because we get to reconsider our lives, especially when we read passages like we read this morning. Like, 
John is out in the desert. This is what Isaiah says of John. John's out in the desert saying, there's someone coming. Uh, The roads need to be raised. The mountains need to be lowered. And anything that's crooked needs to be straightened so that God can take his rightful place. John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard. By the way, I got to hold his Bible this week. John used to say that the way in is the way on. Meaning like the very, the very things that got you in with God are the, are the things that keep you going with God. Like we, we, it's his way of saying we don't, there's just some stuff we don't outgrow, you know? And some people in the room were like, man, I want to have, I want to have my heart burn for God the way it used to. You know, I'd like to, I'd like to love Jesus the way I used to. Uh, John would say to us, John Wimber and John the Baptist would say to us, well, do the things you did at first. In fact, John the Revelator did say that in, I think it's Revelation chapter two. He said, consider how far you've fallen. Do the things you did at first. Let your love come back, right? I think it's Revelation chapter two, verse five. Some of us would like to have the fire come back to our lives. Uh, we'd like to live with an awareness of God and his kingdom like we used to. Well, here's the, here's the message this morning, church. Uh, do the things you used to, you know? Like no wonder. How many of you all remember when you got baptized? Do you remember when you got baptized? I remember when I got baptized. That was an amazing feeling. Uh, why, does, why, why was it so easy to love God back then? Because you, because you and I, we were admitting that we needed him and we shared it. And how many of you know when you get baptized, you admit, I'm a sinner who needs God. And then you get baptized and you come out and you're like, man, I feel amazing. I feel like I'm on a journey with God and everything feels alive and green. What is it? It's because we're like doing the things, right? We're just going, I'm someone who needs God. And you're like looking for Jesus to be the answer in your life. And you read the Bible and you go, there's something in here for me today. There's like, you'd read the gospel of John and you wouldn't wouldn't even know what any of it meant. And then there'd be one verse there'd be like a little, I remember the first time I read John chapter seven, when Jesus said, if anybody's thirsty, come to me, you know, but if we don't do those things, if we don't do those things, we'll just let our thirst be taken by something else. And it's so easy because human beings are, are hungering and thirsting creatures. Like you will get your needs met somewhere. And some of us will just like turn to alcohol or some of us will turn to friends or some of us will turn to like a more high-minded spirituality, you know? But it doesn't, it doesn't cause us to serve anyone and we don't have to admit that we're wrong. And then before you know it, we have a dead heart. John the Baptist, John the Revelator, and even John Wimber would say, do the things you did at first. The way in is the way on. Like there's some things we don't outgrow. Tell you one little quick story. Held John Weber's Bible this week. Kind of blew, blew me apart, I'm not gonna lie. He had like little notes in there. 
with people's names and stuff. It's just like, you could see his like faith journey. And uh, in the margins on one of the pages, he had like a real quickly sketched out sermon. And it's, it's like stuff we still teach in the vineyard, you know? It was amazing. Stuff like everybody gets to play. I mean, I got to see where he wrote it in his Bible. It's just like, what in, the, what in the world's happening? Yeah. The way in is the way on. You know, let the, let, the, let the mountains be brought down low. Let the valleys be raised up. Let anything that's crooked, let it be straightened out that God might have his rightful place. Yeah, everybody in the room, like, none of us have, none of us have outgrown changing our mind based upon the superior information of God's kingdom. None of us here have outgrown that. Uh, maybe, maybe it's been a year or two since you've changed your mind about anything. Well, maybe it's time. Yes. You know? Why? So that God can have his rightful place in our lives again. So that our life can, like, be evergreen. So it can flourish. So that the ember of our heart can come back alive and there could be a flame there again. Do the things we did at first. Make a, make a place for Jesus. Make a place for Jesus. I, this is part of the Advent story, right? Like, this is a part of the story. Like, Jesus is born out in a barn. Like, I just, I love this. Like, the Son of God is born in a barn. Uh, there's, a, there's a sense in which the gospel writers are saying, would, would somebody make a place for Jesus? He, he will literally show up in a barn. Would somebody make a place for Jesus? Like the son of God was born in a stall. Like he will come into your heart, you know, like, will somebody make a place for Jesus? I, I think it's so instructive for us. We, we never advance past these things. I don't know why I'm so weepy this morning. I feel the Lord. We just need the Lord. We really do. Um, yeah. yeah. I've been thinking about that scripture this week in the Psalms where David says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. <laughs> you know? I'd like, I mean, if I just had like the smallest job and God, like just to be in God's house, you know, has been, it really doesn't have anything to do with this morning's text, but, but it has that idea inside of it of, of smallness and not being an expert and not, we're not so grown up anymore and not so advanced and not so like David's, David's, I just love this idea in, in David, like David's goal was not to be the priest, you know? David's goal was not to be the king. David's goal was not to be the center of the temple. Like, just to be a doorkeeper in the house of God, like, that's enough. Like, just to get to enjoy the people of God and the presence of God and the place of God and the peace of God. Like, this is, this is the stuff. I just love that, that image of smallness again. I, I think the Lord is inviting us to consider our lives. I think, the, I think the text would say to us this morning, very pointedly, do not become a king in your own heart. Uh, do not become a ruler. Do not become too important. Uh, do not become too high and mighty because you'll miss a desert word. I think that's what the text is saying to us this morning. Don't become an expert. Don't become a king. 
Don't become a ruler. Do not become high and mighty. Don't become someone who has a title. Don't become entitled. God will name you and then you'll be in the city. God will be on the desert. You know, like don't become a Pontius Pilate in your heart. Don't, don't become a Herod of Antipas because you'll probably become the sort of person who wouldn't go out to the desert to, to hear a word from God. Some of us in the room also feel like we're in the desert. You know, you feel like, oh my gosh, I've been wandering around for four and a half years and it feels like I'm barely getting by. Man, that's great. It's a great thing to be in the desert. God is always in the desert. He's always making his move in the desert. And by the way, in the Old Testament, it was the desert where they had a cloud by day and a fire by night. All of that went away in the promised land. So if you're in the desert this morning, you can experience the profound presence of God. That's part of what the text would say to us this morning as well. Like there's a profound presence in the desert. Like sometimes you have to go out onto the edges. And by the way, repentance is, a, is an edge word. It's not, it's, it, it's not the thing that most people want to immediately gravitate towards. It's not the thing we wanted. Like changing our mind is so hard. Admitting we were wrong is so difficult. Saying that we need God is so difficult. But that's where the life is. Like there's a cloud, there's a, there's a fire that exists out in that space. And I think this is the invitation God has given us this morning. Amen? Okay, I got to stop because I'm going to lose it. Yeah, amen. Man, the Lord is here. He's really here. He's really, really here. And there's, there's like, there's something tender in the room this morning. And um, the, the, I'm telling you, I mean, Hebrews would say to us today, if you hear his word, do not harden your heart. Oh man, we, we. We, we become professionals at hardening ourselves against like the little machinations of God, like the little drawing. And so I would encourage everybody who feels that in their soul and their spirit this morning, like we need, to, we need to go with it. Okay, if you're on the band this morning, come on up. And if everybody else would just do me a favor and stand up, we're going we're gonna to wait on the spirit here just for a moment. And then we're going we're gonna to sing. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.